Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of Go Big Orange Friday on, you guessed it, a Friday morning here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, a part of the Blue Wire Pod Network, um, where I am joined by fellow Knoxvillians, UTK alums, Ryan Shumpert of Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, good morning. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Glad to be uh, back on and looking at the rundown. Plenty to talk about. Crossover season for you. It is crossover season. Uh, look, Tennessee football is a year-round sport. People will talk about Tennessee football every day. But we have variety here. Our Coliseum doesn't have cement blocks falling from it. It's a everything school. We don't have to close down TBA because um, repairs are desperately needed. But look, we all can't be everything schools. That can't be the case. Down there in... Carn, Carn. You have it right. You, you commit to it. You got it. Carnes, Tennessee. Go. Ethan Stone <laughs> of Saturday Down South. Ethan, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, it's conference tournament season, man. I'm, mm. I'm thriving right now. You have no idea. I watched Liberty escape Eastern Kentucky last night on ESPN Plus. That I'm, I'm peak. It's my real team. sicko behavior from Ethan <laughs> for the next month. Behavior. Okay. <laughs> Liberty tape. He's grinding the late night Liberty <laughs> Conference tournament tape. That is oh, yeah. top notch. A Sun, man. A Sun. It's fun. Kennesaw State. Never been. They're going to make it this year. I've been to a Kennesaw game. I went there my freshman mm-hmm. year of college, actually, before I transferred. D2 um, Powerhouse. Kennesaw it, State. People forget. Look, I'm a big <laughs> owl guy. Like, never underestimate <laughs> the owl. Um, turned into more of the. Uh, the gargoyle variety in my <laughs> older years. Like we got the uh, my okay. gargoyle right here. Sneaky okay. heavy. How much would y'all guess this man weighs? I'll go 15 pounds. What do you think, Ryan? I'll go 20. Look at that. 20 pounds. All this right. How much this thing weighs? This thing, 100% just toss it. This is killing like just a, <laughs> a, a cardinal, like maybe a squirrel, definitely oh, a chipmunk. Man. Yeah. Get it up on the roof and try to throw it at small animals running around. Yikes. No, we're not that's doing what, that. That's what it sounds like you're doing. Yeah. No, what I'm saying is this thing is heavy and is a dangerous <laughs> thing to just haul it around. It does sound like that's what you're insinuating, to be fair. Yeah. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Very pro animal on this podcast. Got Khalees the dog right next to me, passed out up to the park at Ryan's namesake um, yeah. this morning, Tommy mm-hmm. Shumper Park. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's always weird when I see that now. It's just like, oh, that's Ryan's grandfather. Yeah, I'm going to his part. Um, well, folks, Rocky Top conversations need to be had. Um, I want to start here. Let's start with Tennessee basketball. Uh, Zakai Ziegler out for the year, torn ACL. Um, really rough moment all across the board. Um, Will and I, uh, steps by Will at uh, we were hashing that out last night. And he wrote a really good piece highlighting how things are going to be different and what Tennessee's outlook is going to look like without uh, Zakai Ziegler uh, for this stretch run. Uh, but Ethan, when you look at how Tennessee fared without Zakai for basically the whole game against Arkansas on Tuesday night, what uh, what did you see from this group? And did you come out of it thinking more optimistically about what Tennessee can do? Or is it still just kind of a wait and see and you want to see more minutes with these guys before uh, saying this season might be saved? Yeah, it's very much still a wait and see in my opinion, because I feel like the Arkansas game worked very well into what Tennessee can do. I, I feel like Eric Musselman's whole thing is, is guard the three-point line and, and keep you away from beating them from three. So 
Rick Barnes just had to turn to physicality pretty much. So he had to turn to, you know, Jemima Shack finding a newfound physicality down, you know, driving down into the paint. You got uh, Toba, Euros, you know, fill in the gaps. They were the ones who won that game. And, you know, they won it easily. They, I mean, obviously Arkansas was preparing for a team with Zakai Ziegler on it. So it's it's a little hard to judge 100% like, hey, Tennessee's going to come out and do this against Auburn when Bruce Pearl's going to have time to prepare for a team without Zakai Ziegler. Because, you know, you, you think about this Tennessee team, what he does. He's not the flashiest scorer. He leads the SEC in assists by, like, I think a point. Like, I think I think an assist per game. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's astronomical. Zakai is the best floor general as far as point guards go, probably in the SEC right now. Defensively, I mean, you know, what? not not one of the best defensive players in the SEC, one of the best defensive players in the country in Zakai Ziegler, at, at the very least at guarding the one. And mm-hmm. so you lose a guy like that, obviously something's going to hurt. Like replacing, replacing Zakai in the aggregate, I feel like, with Josiah and Santi is really your best choice going forward, but it's not the only way Tennessee's going to succeed, in my opinion. You got to have that increased physicality from, in my opinion, especially Jemima Shack. I feel like his role, especially, is going to be huge moving forward. You need not 13 points and, and three assists per game and not him running the point by any means, but just that physicality, get him to drive downhill, get him to the free throw line. I'm, I'm you know, not sure if he'll hit him, but he'll at the very least create opportunities for other people. And just him driving downhill, I saw so much from him, man, uh, mm. against Arkansas. It was it was cool to see. I mean, Tennessee needs him to become a Josh Richardson type of player in the worst way possible moving into March. Ryan, when I look at it to kind of building up what, um, what Ethan was saying, is just that like, I think, and this, you got, it's a loss. And like, you hear how guys go to it, like, it sucks. But Will and I talked about this last night where it's like, the numbers bared out where Tennessee's worst was Sakai Ziegler on the floor. And Ziegler has had a bad month of February by and large. And one of the things that will change and people were worried about the ball handling, like Ethan was talking about, it's like just the assist. Like he is someone yeah. who when he gets inside, like he's not looking to draw fouls. Like Ziegler does not go to the line. That's not really his thing. If he goes to the line, it's like he's getting fouled on a three-pointer or something. He's looking to pass. He's looking to find Jonas Adu, Toby Awaka, Euros, whatever, and a little wrap wraparound pass and like that. Try to find somebody in the corner, something like that. Like he is kind of Kyrie in that way, where he's not looking to go to the line and draw fouls. He's just trying to facilitate inside, and he's just really, really good at maneuvering. What's different, and what I think will help Tennessee, is like you said, Meshack flashed a little bit. Where you're going to have opportunities now, where Julian Phillips is going to have to bring the ball up. And that's big because he's their best player at drawing fouls. And one of the things that separates Julian outside of just his defense, and we saw the difference with him defensively against Arkansas, but I think he's going to go to the line a lot more. I think he's going to have opportunities to bring the ball up. And if he sees a mismatch or he sees an opening, he can draw fouls. I think Tennessee as a whole is going to shoot less threes. And I think they're going to get to the line a lot more because when you watch these games, like they're one of the worst free throw shooting teams, both getting to the line and converting. But a lot of it's just, they're looking to pass like Sakai is a leader in that where Sakai doesn't draw fouls. You don't have a lead guard who tries and does that really. And he's looking to find those open threes, which is helpful. But one of the differences now they're going to be huge. I think the defense will probably be better because you're probably going to start Meshack in lieu of uh, Sakai. My guess is it's probably Meshack, Santi, uh, Santi, Julian Phillips, Josiah Jordan James and Kamwa or uh, I do like whatever iteration of that. I think you're just going to see guys who can defend multiple positions all across the board. And like, you know, Messelman was complaining about the hand in the face stuff on Tuesday night, but Tennessee is just going to have 
big dudes who are defense first guys everywhere. And I think they're going to kill folks in the glass. I think that's another big part. And you saw that in the Arkansas game. So I think there are pluses, but it's also just like Zakai is probably your second favorite guy to have in crunch time. Like he's not afraid of that kind of moment. So you're kind of worried what that looks like. And also just he's so dependable. He plays the minutes like he is so he gobbles up so many minutes. We don't know what these guys are going to look like with extended minutes where so much is on their plate. I, I just he is so much of a the heart and soul in terms of running the point run just being active super active on defense but the fouls were real and like tennessee's losses he fouled a bunch and tennessee's wins he kept it down to like two fouls a game Mm -hmm. there was so much variance in terms of how sakai was playing versus how tennessee ended up performing overall that i wonder i i like you said ethan i don't know i i'd still wait and see but there are positives and negatives when you look at this and i think there is a case that tennessee could be better in the short term just because of the defense and the free throws and just kind of being a big, big team identity. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of that super offline. I would be, I'd be surprised to see them truly be better. Um, but I mean, certainly a really positive sign against Arkansas how they responded. I mean, we haven't been able to see it because of injuries for a large part, and we probably would have seen it even with Zakai out there. But I mean, the defensive lineup, and that's what you're getting at with Shemai Meshack, Julian Phillips, and Jonas mm-hmm. do on the court. It's just like, oh my gosh, right. how are you supposed to score again? I mean, that's just torturous mm-hmm. to try to mm-hmm. go up against and. And you're right. I thought, and Ethan, you harped on this a lot. I thought Meshack's aggressiveness was a really good sign, even though he didn't shoot the ball very well, even at the basket. He was just continually going hard to the basket, looking to get fouls. And you're right, Julian Phillips. I think with Julian Phillips, we talked about it uh, a lot early in February before his injury of like, he's the guy when shots aren't going in and needs to get going. Mm -hmm. And this, I think, will hopefully just force him to be more aggressive and be more assertive offensively. So that's all, you know, to your point, positives, things that could happen and go well. I think you need to get more post touches too. Uh, look, I, I've been slowly getting into the deep end with this take for a while. because it, But Euros Plasic needs more touches. He does. Euros Plasic, he gets the ball and can turn left shoulder, he's probably going to score. Yeah. And now can he do that six times a game? Probably not because eventually defenses are going to adjust how they defend him and there's going to be a double team and he's not the best at – adapting the new circumstances but when he can catch the ball and turn left shoulder he's pretty darn good 13 to 14 from the field in tennessee's last six games tobey walker when he's out there i think should be getting more touches down low um but where i worry about zakai the ball pressure for one mm-hmm. yeah and it was good to see how they responded against arkansas who is a team that plays with some ball pressure but again it's at home it's a little bit different auburn i think will be a, just a great test to see how big of a problem that's going to be um, so that's one. And then, you know, we've heard players talk about it all year. He's the emotional leader. He's the energy leader of the team. He is the guy. And they talk about it when he gets in foul trouble of what an issue that is for them, that we can't have you picking up these silly fouls because we need you out there be- providing that energy. And now when we go on a stretch, home season's over. They're on the road Saturday, and then they're it's neutral site the rest of the year. They're going to have to create their own juice in all these games. And I think that's something that not necessarily I worry about, because you would hope, you know, SEC tournament, NCAA tournament, you're not going to have any issue bringing juice, but it is something that I, I at least wonder about. And when you combine that with the late game situations, the late shot clock situations uh, of needing someone to be able to get downhill and at least just get a decent shot off. Look, the guys who are shooting numbers aren't great. It haven't been great this year, but he can get to the mid-range. He can get to a three-point or that's pretty deep and he can take it. And it's not like, it's not a prayer shot. He might not shoot at a super high rate, but he 
can get it off and and potentially knock it down. So those are the areas that I worry about. But I, I certainly think there are some really, and y'all both outlined them, some some positives where it can force other guys to be more aggressive and, and maybe change Tennessee's identity a little bit away from being a three-point shooting team and, and trying to really dominate on the glass and, and score inside, get to the foul line more. Yeah, I think guys just get lazy with Zakai sometimes. Like you watch them stand around because Zakai will move around and he's always running and he'll move all around the uh, in half court sets and just no one's moving. He, like he's looking like you'll get stagnant. The worst of Tennessee's offense is when Zakai is like, I'm trying to find one of you guys. I'm dribbling everywhere. I need one of you guys to get open. I also wonder too, I wonder how many assists for the bigs were from Zakai. Like I would guess most of, if not all of your hosts uh, just left in, like you're talking about were from Zakai little dump offs. I don't know outside of Vescovy, who do you trust to feed the bigs inside with consistent, great entry passes? Like Julian, I don't really, Terry Key's not really that kind of passer. I may shack you hope, but like that's not been its responsibility. So when you're talking about getting more post touches, I I think their post touches from Euros, Jonas, and uh Tobey are gonna be from rebounding. Where like they have to get the the offensive rebound and then they get to do something inside because I don't know if Tennessee now has the guards to do that consistently. I, I don't know if they're gonna be able to do that, but we'll see. And that's why they play the games and we're gonna learn a lot more on the road at Auburn, but um, I think if you're the ultimate optimist, when you look at Tennessee basketball going forward, it's, this is going to force a lot of guys that we wanted more consistency from to be more involved. Like Josiah Jordan James is going to have to do more. He's going to bring the ball up more. Julian Phillips is going to bring the ball up more and be more involved. Tariq Key is going to have to be more involved and shoot more. Like you just look across the board that like Zakai just took a lot of arrows and did a lot of stuff for those guys to cover up for the majority of this year. And Takai's not there to dribble. Takai's not there to um, do it. literally everything. He's just the, the engine that could. Like, he's just so important in so many ways that they're just going to have to. And we're going to see if they they can rise to challenge or they can't. Um, moving off uh, Tennessee basketball for a second. JJ Harrell committed to the Tennessee Vols. Tennessee wins February. Uh, I did a, a great meme because I am 31 years old and know how to meme. Uh, Ryan Ethan, where Chiefs, Tennessee Vols, February champs. And that is true because on three gave Tennessee the number one recruiting class in the month of February for 2024. And look, baby steps. That's many are saying that that's an ultimate sign of where Tennessee is in the football <laughs> program that we're number one in the country. But Ryan, when you look at uh, JJ Harrell's announcement and where this class is now, first big wide receiver domino, Ryan Wingo, Mike Matthews, still very much up in the air. But how big of a deal is JJ Harrell to uh, to this class and how does it kind of change your outlook for where Tennessee will go next in the, in the receiver front and how they are going to uh, integrate him and where this, where this puts Tennessee's wide receiver room going into next year. I don't think it changes a whole lot on the, the receiver class outlook of, you know, what they're going to try to do. I think it gives you a good security blanket to have, what a fringe top 100 guy in the fold, uh, you know, obviously Mike Matthews and Ryan Wingo are, are massive, massive recruits. And I think they're in the thick of that swing, but it's with the very best. So it's not going to be easy to get either of those guys. I think it's good to have a safety blanket. Uh, it's funny to call a top 100 kid a safety blanket, but you already have one really strong recruit in there. And, and then I think maybe what I look at it, and I don't know the answer to this, but to me, what's interesting is how, how do they recruit Amari Jefferson, uh, mm. the athlete who it looks like will play receiver down uh, in Chattanooga, Baylor, 
are they willing to take four receivers or are you just going to bank on probably not getting, you know, both Ryan Wingo or, or Mike Matthews? I, I would think you would still go be going full, full speed ahead after him. Um, but I guess that would kind of be my one question mark. And certainly it's a really good get. And, you know, anytime you go into deep Mississippi and beat out a lot of strong SEC, SEC schools for a big time commit, that's a, uh, a big achievement. And I think even made even more so kind of by the surprise of it. Um, before we pivot uh, to you for a uh, second, Ethan, um, who was the last, cause I think Amari Jefferson wants to play both, right? He wants to be football and baseball. Who was the last Tennessee player to do that? To actually do it. That's a good question. I don't know. Is it Helton? Yeah. I mean, it, it might be, I mean, that's the last one I could, I could tell you, but, because you, you hear that a lot. These guys want to play both. Like Dylan Lonergan at Brookwood went to Bama to play both. But it's like maybe he just pivots to baseball. It's like if it's clear he's not going to see the field in football. Sam, but I, was I say, don't Sam know. Horn's a pretty good Sam Horn, he just got hurt, right? Why, yeah, he's a pretty good example of why you don't, at least with your top quarterbacks. Yeah. You don't let a guy you think is going to be potentially a starting quarterback for you uh, be playing baseball as well. Isn't uh, over at UCF? Isn't John Rice Plumley playing oh, baseball? Oh, he's another again? one. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And he did that at Ole Miss too. Mm. Um, Ethan, when you look at uh, friend of the pod, Greg McElroy, naming his top five SEC coaches, and Josh Heupel made that list. Do you agree? Like it, it was something where I thought about. It. I'm like, man, I guess he is at this point through two years i think it's hard to make the case against him does it did that feel right when you saw it and do you do you agree with the sentiment that hypel has done enough to be considered a top five coach in this conference to be 100 percent honest and it sounds totally crazy i i think i think he's too low i mean i i i think i think he's done more with what he had than what what kelly or kiffin have both done in my mm. opinion I, I mean I, I think he's behind only saban and only and, and kirby I, i'd say it goes kirby smart saban probably Heupel and then Kelly and Kiffin, you, you can just do a toss up. Like probably Kiffin just cause he's been here longer, and, yeah, but it, it's, it's, it's kind of because I mean, like for, for example, Brian Kelly over at LSU, LSU won a title in 2019, best, best football team, arguably of all time, you know, right mm-hmm. there next to the Miami team in 2001. One of the best football teams of all time. Uh, they at the very least have talent down there in Louisiana state, you know, wanting to come and play there. Tennessee had nothing. Uh, mm. Maybe not nothing, but they were bad. They were very bad when Josh Heupel takes over. And, and from what he's done that fast to a loss to South Carolina away from being in the college football playoff, just, you know, year two, that, that that's incredible stuff. Uh, Lane Kiffin, I, I get it. Kiffin beat Tennessee last year. But what has what is, what is Kiffin and Ole Miss done that's that's better than what Tennessee has done this season alone? And, he did uh, win ten win his first ten win season ever in Ole Miss history. I w- I'm okay I with mean, giving ahead of Kaipo right now. I, I, I don't really have much. I think they're actually pretty even. Like if so, you just said I mean, four I, I, A four B, I'd say Kiffin is is the number four in in, mm. in my opinion. But I'm I mean. I, I haven't been convinced that he's head and head and shoulders above Heupel by any. I, I think they're right. I would there agree with that. I mean, it, it, I, I guess I guess I could kick him down to four simply because Kiffin beat. Tennessee and Knoxville mm-hmm. last season, but that was also year one under Heupel. I mean, it, it's it's kind of unfair to to com- compare those. Like if you put year three Heupel against year three Kiffin, if you could do that, I, I'd I'd go with Heupel all day long. I go with this Tennessee team all day long. I don't know. I saw how the Joe Milton experience ended against Ole Miss last time. <laughs> I don't know. I we'll see this year, I guess. But I, I think mm-hmm. I think Heupel is doesn't deserve enough credit, in my opinion, for for what he's done with this Tennessee program. We forget we were supposed to be nothing. For the next like four years, guys. Mm-hmm. Ryan, 
is he where where's your top five if you had to do it right yeah. now what is uh, it this is funny because I, I remember i did talk about this on some some talk radio when his new contract came out and look i would to me i think i see it pretty similar to you chase it's Saban, kirby one and two and to me i'm going brian kelly three not necessarily just from what he's done at lsu but what he did at notre dame you know his whole his whole pedigree mm-hmm. i guess and then to me kiffin and and hypo are pretty darn even yeah. when, when you look at what they, they've done and uh, I certainly Tennessee's a better job, but to Ethan's point, exactly like Tennessee was not a very good job when Heifel when Heifel took over. And I think you know my question would be, or what I'll be curious to see: Lane Kiffin, great ten win season with Matt Corral, big letdown last year. Maybe not a huge letdown, but at least a dro- big drop in wins when he had Jackson Dart. To me, that's a question for for Josh Heifel. Him Hooker was phenomenal. He was great in two years. Obviously, I don't mean to say Heifel didn't deserve a ton of credit for making him great. But what did he do with Joe Milton? We saw what Joe Milton was in twenty in twenty twenty one. If Joe if Tennessee can go out and win nine ten games with Joe Milton, and he plays at a high level, then I'd say yeah. I mean, Heifel probably should be higher on the list. He should be above Kiffin. Uh, so, but time will tell on that. I mean, it's just two years uh, for Heifel, and what only five years as a head coach as a whole. So it's a pretty generally speaking a small sample size compared to a lot of these other guys. And I do think the one thing that I would not kiffing on or i don't even know if knocks the right way just the way he goes about to me he relies too much on the portal for my liking hmm. if i was hiring a head coach and maybe part of that is just old miss aspect of it and they don't have their nil uh, yeah. it doesn't compare to the other top teams in, in the sec so maybe that's just simply what he has to do maybe if he got another bigger job if he had gone to auburn it would be different yeah. Uh, but that would make me uh, a little more weary. I like the way Heifel goes about roster building more than, than Kiffin has at Ole Miss. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Brent Hubbs had three offensive questions. Friend of the pod, Brent Hubbs. Ethan, do you agree with these three? And of the three, which is the biggest one for you? Who can play right tackle to replace Darnell Wright? Uh, how big of an impact can uh, McAllen Castles make at the tight end spot and who is the leader of this group uh to fill that kind of that void that i think a lot of national folks even some tennessee folks are overlooking when it comes to hendon hooker's departure from this program ethan i i think the the best question of of hubs is three is the who fills the leadership void because you know i mean hendon hooker he's, he's the heart and soul of the team he's the the zakai ziegler of the tennessee football team he's mm-hmm. he's the reason tennessee went as far as they did last season and take that away to Ryan's point just a second ago. It, it, the big question mark is Joe Milton. If Joe Milton comes out and he's average you know Tennessee's going to win ceiling eight games. If he's a superstar, they're, they're going to go further than that. And I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the main question. It's the quarterback. It's honestly the, the question of Tennessee football the past 20 years is if, if the quarterback's decent, Tennessee football is probably going to be pretty decent. So, and it doesn't necessarily need to be quarterback, I guess. It's just who is going to, to lead this Tennessee, you don't have Jalen Hyatt anymore. You don't have Cedric Tillman. You don't have Darnell Wright. I mean, for for the right tackle question coming up, I, I mean that that's I, I feel like that's number one. You're losing so many players offensively, defensively, not to mention Jeremy Banks is going to be gone. And you know, I mean, you can have your opinion on him, but he was probably the, right there with Aaron Beasley as the leader of the defense. So you're going to be missing a whole bunch of leadership, and you, you got to figure that out heading into next year. Byron Young too. I think he was yeah. a sneaky big important. Great week for him though. Yeah, a really great 40. So shout out to Byron Young, man. Great story. Um, Ryan, do you share that? Is it leadership for you or 
is it right tackle? Because for me, it's actually right tackle. I just I think we right overlook. tackle is number two for me. I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, McCallum Castles is gonna be fine. Like tight end, they'll be fine. The right tackle spot for me, it's like is John Campbell just a plug and play good right tackle right away might determine a lot because I'm terrified of a bad tackle situation for Tennessee this fall and Joe Milton versus Hendon Hooker in the pocket. Is that the same for you or no? Yeah, I would probably give the they're pretty close, but I'd probably give the nod the right tackle in a large part because I just feel like you know who the leaders are going to be on the offensive side. Like Joe Milton's going to be one of the leaders. Jabari Small is going to be one of the leaders. Bruce McCoy is going to be one of the leaders. To me, the question is more efficacy. How, how, yeah, how effective yeah. of a leader is Joe that's, Milton? That's that's what I was going. That's what I assumed. That's what he was talking about. I agree. Yeah. So, and again, it's part of that is and not we're going to be able to tell a ton, a ton from the right tackle spot from the twenty minutes of practice we get to watch. But you'll probably hear. There's some stuff about that, and certainly you'll get at least a little bit of a longer look in the orange and white game. So, yeah, to me, I mean, we talked about it last week, or maybe it's two weeks ago. When you look at the offense on the field, you know, right tackle is by far the biggest question. So, we'll see. Really, both tackle spots, honestly. I was going to say, I think it's both tackle spots. I think people, like, I'm not sending the alarm, but, like, I'm pretty concerned about the tackle <laughs> spots. Like, I, I think that's the biggest thing this offseason is, like, if the tackles are bad, which is very much a possibility, this season's going to be rough because Joe Milton's going to take some bad sacks and he's not going to be able to move out of the pocket like Hendon Hooker can just bail on a play and use his legs. It's just not what Joe Milton does. And we haven't seen him to that point. He's not that kind of player. I That could completely torpedo <laughs> uh, this offense in a pretty quick, quick way because the drops aren't big, right? Like if they get through and those tackles buckle, like it, it gets ugly pretty quick. Um, yeah, but it's interesting too. Like the leadership, I would say I would throw Jacob Warren and Cooper Mays into that in that group. Yeah, I think those certainly. guys still be in there. Uh, will be sneaky important. Um, shout out Jacob Warren, the guy who we graduated with. People forget that Jacob Warren and I walked hand in hand uh, <laughs> following the the graduation ceremony. Basically the same size. Also, something people were saying. Um, <laughs> in terms of the baseball front, Ryan. Great week. Many are saying Tennessee baseball won't lose again. I seem to share that sentiment. Um, (laughs) The national media doesn't want this to happen, but Tennessee baseball is back. I can't do a Philip Fulmer. The balls are back voice, but you know, I'll do my best. (laughs) I'll do my best. Um, Since Tennessee has not lost a game since Grand Canyon, which feels like forever ago, Ryan, what, uh, what has been the, the sense that you've gotten of where Tennessee baseball is at the moment? And then, how insane is it what Blake Burke is doing right now for, for Tennessee, both with just RBIs, but also just hitting dinger after dinger? Yeah, well, well first, kind of a random thought that I had thinking in the last segment when Ethan compared Hendon and Zakai Ziegler, you cannot let Austin Jazz love number five. You cannot let him play the regular season penultimate game at South Carolina. You can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> the regular season penultimate games have not been good Spittle. for number fives to, <laughs> to play critical positions. For Tennessee sports. Um, but no, when I look at, to me, and honestly, I don't think I was quite as down on the team after the Grand Canyon game as, as a lot of people were. I don't feel a ton different about, mm-hmm. you know, where they're at right now. Um, I would say I feel better about the bullpen. And, and, you know, when you go into the season, you have Andrew Lindsay, Zach Joyce, and Seth Halverson, who are two, th- three guys who had a lot of similarities, in my opinion. Tall right-handed mm-hmm. arms, high in stuff out of the bullpen haven't pitched in at least a year. Mm. So Halverson's been fantastic. Him, He and Camden Silver are going to be the two best guys out of the bullpen. 
Zach Joyce to me has been really impressive and Andrew Lindsay has been a little bit more shaky, but you know, nothing that shocking or terrible to see. So uh, I feel really good about the bullpen. Obviously still feel good about starting pitching in, in the field. It's a lot of what I expected. The bats aren't, it's not, they're not, you know, it's not last year's offense. You mm-hmm. know, it's not, it hasn't been terrible by any means, but it's not last year's offense. I know we're going to talk about it in a second. Center field is the massive, massive question mark uh, on this team. And then the, the Blake Burke thing, it's, I mean, you, I just think I've thought about it many times when we were talking about it before season where you're like, Blake Burke's going to be the guy that you just have to sit up and watch. And that's so much of like it being in the media and some of these midweek games, we were working on some other stuff and you're kind of 70% watching the game and fiddling with something else that you're doing. It's like Blake Burke, all eyes have to be on Blake Burke. Mm. And it's not just, it's not just like the home runs that he's hitting. It's how he, like, you have to be, like, the stats aren't telling the story. You have to be there to see him hit a ball out of his shoulders opposite field into the, into the second porch. You mm-hmm. have to see him on a day when the wind's howling in from right field and Zane Denton would have had his first two home runs and they get caught at the warning track. You have mm-hmm. to see him hit a ball that goes over the bullpen in right field. It, it, it's just, it's unbelievable. And, and his shins, I should add too. And all of that on top of the fact that he's been by far Tennessee's best guy at driving people in with singles when there's runners in scoring position. Like He's just mm-hmm. doing everything at the plate right now. And it's just, He's an unbelievable, unbelievable talent, and it's it's must watch. And really, you know, I hope that people around him can start hitting better and being a little more consistent, especially runners on base. So when we get in SEC play, teams aren't just walking them and pitching around them because I think uh, he's been so good, and not that the rest of the offense has been like so bad, but it's just not been like Drew Gilbert's not hitting ahead of him, in the spot ahead of him or in the spot behind him. Uh, I just, you know, I worry that he's not going to see a lot of pitches in the zone when SEC play starts and. Mm. Uh, that would be uh, a travesty. It would be a little overdramatic. But that would be a shame for the viewers because it's, I mean, it's must watch anytime he steps into the batter's box right now. I wonder if you could move him around the lineup to kind of prevent that. I wonder if he doesn't have to stay in the three spot. I don't know. Maybe you move him up to two um, and you flip some stuff around. I, I don't know. There's probably some ways around it um, to kind of protect him a little bit so you can't pitch around him the same way. Um, I guess maybe it just becomes what, what does Griffin and Zane look like come conference yeah. play. Like if they're really good, then that that helps things tremendously. Uh, Ethan, are you all in on the Ahuna Matata? Are you are you ready to go? Are you ready to ride Ahuna Matata? I'm I'm ready to see him play someone that isn't Charleston Southern. I'm not even sure who he played. I, I know he just just yeah, started Charleston this. Southern, yeah, Charleston Southern. Uh, I'm ready to see him play a, a legitimate opponent. And I also think it was interesting. It's it's funny that uh, Ryan brings up Austin Jazlov. I, I like that Vitello moved him to DH and that both of them were still getting time. Um, Real tip of the cap by yeah. Vitello. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Big Here's time. One at bat is the starting DH in a midweek game. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. But I mean, you, you got to get excited for it. It's, it's the guy that that Tennessee fans have been waiting for this entire offseason. and you know he gets held back, and this the anticipation just continues to grow. So I feel like especially. You know, starting today against against Gonzaga and then moving forward this week, and it's just going to be fun to watch him. I also have a take about Blake Burke. I saw something. Mm. I think it was last night. Can't remember. It, it was this past week. It was if if Blake Burke gets the same amount of plate appearances as Trey Lipscomb did last season, they'll finish with thirty nine home runs this <laughs> season. And now, now, well, that's that is facing in the fact that Tennessee is playing Dayton and Charleston Southern right now, and is not mm. going to play, be playing Dayton the entire season and is not going to be playing, you know, these types of teams the entire season. That is an absurd number on mm. his head, 39. And not to mention he's, I, I mean, there's, there's the, the stat floating around the internet too, that he's hit 
20 home runs and 131 at bats, which is in and of itself bonkers, not mm-hmm. paired with the stat that I just gave you a little bit ago. So even for someone that like, I mean, if, if you walk up in the street to someone that doesn't watch baseball and you say, Hey, I'm going to take you over and we're going to watch this Blake bird guy hit a home run into the trees and wake up the squirrels. Mm-hmm. They're going to, they're going to love it. People are just going to love it. Watching Blake Burke play baseball. It's nice to have that guy, that kind of guy on your team that, that just the country can kind of rally around. And, you know, Ahuna's not going to be that level. He's not going to be a, a power hitter, but he's another fun piece to add to a Tennessee team that, that needs desperately to continue to be fun. I would agree. Um, how does he help the hoarder though? When you look at lineup construction, Ryan, like, with what we've seen from Mahuna so far and what you think you're going to get, what's the one through nine, the best version based on what we've seen thus far? Yeah, to me, that's a great question because Tennessee's so left-handed bat heavy, especially at the top of its lineup. And, you know, my natural thought where he, I would say, worked most in, in fall was at the two-hole. Mm. I would like him to hitting leadoff because of his speed. I kind of worry about that with Dickey a little bit. But Ahuna is just such a swing and miss guy that I'm just not sure you're going to see them take Dickey, who, even though he's striking out more this year than he did last year, is pretty consistent. So, you know, I wonder the spot that they really haven't hit him in that I kind of like is the five hole. You know, I haven't Hmm. seen him in there much. You go maybe uh, Griffin Merritt at four. I think Griffin Merritt's going to put up better numbers than he has at this point in the season than Zane Denton at six. Um, and in the back of the order, I think it's just going to be dependent on his catching. If it's Cal Stark, you know, he's going to be uh, up there pretty high and, you know, it, he might be in there DH, you know, either way. So to me, the back end is kind of dependent on, on what the catching looks like. But I personally, I like Jared Dickey, Christian Moore, Blake Burke, Griffin Merritt, Malion and Zane Denton. But I'm also not positive that's what you're going to see because really it was in the fall, a lot of Mali at two, a lot of Mali at three, a lot of Mali at six. So. We'll see what that looks like. Maybe you move Christian Moore back uh, in the lineup too to kind of give you another right-handed bat um, a little bit more in the middle than the top. But it's going to be a fascinating question. Vitello really likes to stagger those guys, as we've seen hmm. in recent years. Lefty, righty, lefty, righty. He's not going to be able to quite do that this year because there's more lefty, more better lefty bats. But it does kind of make for an interesting proposition. Hmm. It's interesting too. I mean, we talked about like the elephant in the room is just what they do in center field like you got some freshmen getting time you've got Dickie who's playing everywhere Kyle Booker was the hope I think probably right yeah. like you were hoping yeah. Kyle Booker would just run with it with this full-time opportunity like when do you is it just SEC play is like if he hasn't figured it out by then it's like all right we can't keep waiting like what what do you think ultimately happens here if what Kyle Booker has played like to this point do they just bite the bullet and are like, we're playing a talented freshman, we just have to? And Or what do you think ultimately happens? Well, here's the problem is that the freshmen are center fielders. Yeah. I mean, Dylan Trotling's weakness is his defense, and he's mm-hmm. a corner outfielder. So you're going to move him to center field now? Like, I don't know. Like, there's not, there's really not a good answer to it. Like, they need Kyle Booker to figure it out. Like, that's mm-hmm. what needs to happen. Uh, you can get away with playing Jared Dickey in center some at Lindsey Nelson, I think. But on the road, I, I wouldn't want to have him out there in center field. I mean, we already saw that in big ballpark, you know, out in Arizona to open the season. Mm. That was not a great mix. But, like, what do you do there? I mean, you're by far your best defensive center fielders are Christian Scott and Kyle Booker. Their bats just aren't good enough. And Hunter Inslee, I mean, his bat's not even great, and he's more of a corner outfielder still. Uh, You mentioned the freshman. I think that's what you would like to ideally be. But, again, really, we haven't seen – 
Uh, Reese Chapman get that many opportunities. One, and he's still more of a corner outfield guy. Dryling has looked really good and has gotten more opportunities, but he's not a, he's not a center fielder. And defense is a weakness. Kavaris Tears, who is a guy you know we like. You know, I love his bat. You like to kind of toss out there. You know maybe they should get him some looks. Last midweek against Alabama A and M, he's out there. First inning, he's in center field. He takes two steps in on a fly ball that one hops the wall over his head. It's just like, yeah, you know, he can't play center field. <laughs> so a lot of, you know, in a lot of ways that you said the thing, do you just wait till, you know, SEC play with Kyle Booker? And it's like my, first initial, my initial thoughts, like, no, you can't afford to do that. But you look around at the answers and I'm just not really sure there is one. You know, maybe you force feed Dylan Dryling reps in center field and hope he gets better. Maybe that's the answer. But I don't think they're confident enough to – make that because it better be the answer if you're going to force feed it you better be starting in center field every single day and mm-hmm. that's what your plan is and i don't think they have the confidence in them to do that so it's to me the one that center field spot to me is by far the biggest weakness on this tennessee team and the biggest question mark is we get into sec play your gut who gets the most starts in center field up until sec play who do you think it is kyle booker Mm. maybe Jared Dickey to me it's one of those two I wonder if that means like this just hurts Charlie Taylor I feel like because it's like you can't have the bottom of the order be Kyle Booker and Charlie Taylor in a lot of these spots come SEC play that's like almost just look we like Charlie Taylor we like how like no it's just the bats when you're trying to win and get back to the college world series I don't think based on what we've seen from Kyle Booker to this point or Christian Scott they can be everyday guys in center field and also have Charlie Taylor at the bottom of the lineup. Like Cal Stark will have to get a bunch of those spots and you're like, well, he's a great DH option. It's like you have to bend a little bit somewhere. You can't like, it's okay to have like one and they Tennessee kind of had that last year. I mean, for um, I mean, to a, a degree, but Cortland Lawson was, he developed a lot more down the stretch, but yeah. it was kind of like, it, it, how can I phrase this? I think you guys know where I'm coming from, where it was like, you're more often than not, like he was not, he was the least dependable bat in the lineup more often than not. There was really, he wasn't striking fear. And yes, it was a one through eight strike fear and then yes. a, a solid nine hitter, but exactly. It wasn't the same as those other eight guys. And now you're in a point where you're like six or seven strike fear on a good day. It's seven, but you can't, you just, the eight, nine spot. That's just, you can't do it like come SEC play. It's just going to be too competitive. I don't think Vitello is going to be able to get away with Booker and Charlie Taylor most days. But most I, I think, <clears throat> I don't disagree with that. I think you're almost going to see, or you could see, Tony Vitello pull Rick Barnes. Of, hmm. We're going to win with defense. We're gonna, our, <laughs> pitching, our pitching staff is good enough to beat you almost hmm. every time out. We don't have to score five or six runs, so let's be good defensively behind them and make it as easy as possible. And you're really good at shortstop now that Maui's back. Charlie Taylor is a really solid defensive catcher. And Kyle Booker isn't even great in center field. It's just the other options aren't very good defensively. And just outside of Christian Scott, who's really good defensively. So I wonder if, if Tennessee, if Vitello goes that way. Because I do think you're right. Those are weaknesses there. And look, one thing, like I, I still like Kyle Booker's talent. And Christian Scott, I hope you're not listening. Like, he's not Christian Scott from a talent standpoint. He's more talented than Christian Scott mm-hmm. on the plate. Problem is, it seems like anytime someone's on base, Kyle Booker is in the batter's box. Like, this is the biggest moment of my life. Like, it, just, it feels like he makes these at bats just like he's, like he's as good at bats frequently when guys aren't on base. And not that it's, you know, he's just a completely different guy, but 
I, I wonder, I think the hope maybe for Tennessee's standpoint is as he gets more at bats, as he gets into SEC play, he calms down and can do the basic things better. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. I don't think that, you know, even to everything we said, I don't think that's a great, you know, that's not a great spot to be in at center field, but I do wonder if that still is just, just their best, their best option. I just, you need Drew Gilbert in his ear every day where it's like, Hey, I was the same way. Every at bat was just life or death for me. Like I was losing my mind at the plate and I was the, uh, the, uh, energizer bunny every single time, but like it worked for him. He channeled that into batting like 500. So Kyle Booker, like it's okay to be like yelling at pitchers as he runs to first base. Right. Like Booker maybe I don't know. Is it just being around Drew Gilbert for as long? And Gilbert took him under his wing and was like, all right, you got to keep up this legacy once I'm out of here. And it's like, uh, I don't know if that's Kyle Booker. I, I don't know if that's a possibility. I don't think, I don't think that's it. I don't yeah. think he has that fire. That yeah. Drew Gilbert has, but I will say, you know, all of, with all this, I think everybody knew how much Tennessee would miss Drew Gilbert's bat yeah. and maybe the leadership. He was such an underrated outfield, like defensive outfielder. Right? Yeah. He was so he was so good out in center and so reliable. And he, and granted, he wasn't that from day one, but like he was fantastic last year in center field and how much ground he could cover, and having a good arm too. And you're seeing that now. You know how what a luxury that was to have on top of him being whatever. You know, I guess he didn't end up being the batting champ in the SEC, but second in the batting champ in good power and in a remarkable clutch hitter with runners on base and, and two outs. It. He was an incredibly complete player. There's a reason that he's like pushing to make the Astros right out of the gate here. Like that's, it's pretty, like he's going to be in Houston, like as a major league baseball player in the Michael Harris zone, it looks like where he's going to be, tw- he's just, it's going to be quick uh, when he makes his jump. Him and Ben Joyce, it seems like you're probably the two yeah. to make it the fastest. Um, well, there you go. Uh, Ethan, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at uh, Saturday Down South this week? Yeah, a lot of the same SEC tournament creeping up here uh, as, as conference tournament season, best season of the year uh, uh, kicks off. We got that. We'll get uh, obviously college baseball, SEC, Big Ten, you know, you name it for our four sites over at uh, Saturday Down South, Tradition, Road, and Out West. So go check it out there. There you go. Ryan, what about you and the team over at Rocky Top Insider? Yeah, tons of stuff uh, on Zakai Ziegler and kind of where Tennessee turns now about him. Uh, we'll have Auburn preview and then, yeah, I'll be – I'll be down in Auburn uh, Saturday to cover that game. And then if we don't get rained out tonight, uh, I'll be at Lindsey Nelson Stadium for game one at Gonzaga. And then Jack Foster will be there uh, all weekend uh, to hand, handle things on that front while, while I'm at Auburn. So we'll have uh, plenty of stuff on foot, or excuse me, basketball and baseball and then football as well. Spring practice is uh, getting pretty close. Maybe that's what we needed because the winds are crazy where they canceled school because of what they're expecting the wind yeah. to be. I was really curious. I saw some school getting crazy. canceled. Yeah. I was like, for what What are they canceling school crazy. for? Wind, the kids might blow yeah. away. I don't yeah. know. That's, it's that <laughs> the crazy. They're, just, <laughs> they're getting swept up. Kids will end up in Nashville if they can't yeah. outside. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, there you go. Ryan, Ethan, thank you as always. And I'll talk to you all next week. Yeah, sounds Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.